Hello and good morning. My name is Elliot and uh, I am giving the sermon today. You lucky people. <laughs> Happy seventh day of Christmas. I think it's the seventh day of Christmas. If your uh, true love didn't give you seven swans of swimming today, it's not too late. All right, uh, I think I will start with a, a little personal introduction. Uh, I have been part of uh, Bellingham Covenant Church for, uh, I think, 14, maybe 15 years. When I started coming here, I think Jeff G. had just been hired uh, maybe two years before that. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Dan Bolge was, uh, was still the associate pastor. Paul Peterson was the lead pastor. And uh, in the time that I've been here, I've uh, taught a bunch of classes and I have um, preached a bunch of times and was on the lead team for six years and was on the um, uh, search committee that called Pastor Phil, uh, which was a great uh, way to serve and a, a great decision, I think. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, and now I'm, oh, and I um, should mention this in, in case you didn't know, uh, went through a very difficult time here about three years ago. I went through a uh, divorce. And um, yeah, there, there were moments where I, I thought about leaving. In some ways, it would have been easier to do that, but I decided to stay because you're my people. Uh, so now I am moving. <laughs> and um, why is that? Well, I uh, visited, uh, I was in the Midwest um, for a work conference in Chicago and also got a chance to visit family in, in Milwaukee. And uh, while I was there, I was visiting uh, just an old professor of mine from Regent College who's now at a, a seminary uh, that's outside of Milwaukee. And uh, I was vis visiting there for a couple days and I thought, you know, they have a degree that I could just do part-time, um, and I could still keep my current job as an editor and um, work remotely, and I thought, why not? I don't necessarily have any different uh, career plans uh, after, after, um, after that, uh, and it may be that I will end up back here, who knows, um, but I thought, if I can do it, uh, it seems like a good thing to do. Um, and uh, at the very least, if there's, even if there's no change in career or new, new opportunities, I will get the chance to, to study more and uh, go deeper in my walk with Christ. And um, I think it'll be good. So that's, that's why I'm going. But uh, my job is still based here, and I'll be back uh, at least a couple times a year um, to visit. So... That's, that's the plan. So, um, let's talk about the Bible. 
Matthew 2, 13 to 23. So uh, the new year is a time to pause and reflect and to think about the past year and to dream about what the new one might be like. Um, this can be, depending on kind of our personalities, uh, who we, we are, uh, exhilarating or exhausting. And the people who tend to find it exhilarating love to post the goals that they have accomplished and the goals that they are uh, setting for themselves on social media. Uh, and the ones who find it exhausting are maybe a little intimidated by all of this, uh, this goal accomplishing and goal setting. Uh, they think uh, this, this other person read 300 books and ran a marathon and, on every continent last year and I broke down crying at Target three times. <laughs> so there's a, a little bit, there are different ways that you can approach the, the coming of a new year. Uh, one of the books that I've uh, read recently um, that has really stuck with me is a book by Alan Noble. It's called You Are Not Your Own. Uh, and in this wonderful book, uh, Noble refers to uh, the first group, the people who uh, very uh, aggressive in their goal setting and accomplishing as the, uh, the affirming and the latter group as the resigned. Uh, they're uh, the ones who, uh, are, who, who he calls affirming are the, the people who are into uh, self-optimization uh, and self-creation. Um, the affirming believe that life is a game that they are able to win. And the resigned believe that life may be a game, but it's rigged, so why try? Uh, Noble says that the best way to approach life is to neither be uh, affirming nor resigned. Uh, the problem with both of these is that they believe that it is their responsibility to make their lives mean something, to create meaning in their lives. So whether you think it's possible or hopeless, it's better to believe, as the title of Noble's book says, that you are not your own, that you belong to Christ, and he is the one who uh, gives meaning to your life, uh, and following him gives meaning to your life. So the odds are, even if you're a person who, for whom life is largely working, this past year didn't turn out exactly how you expected it to in some ways. Uh, and while there is a lot that you do have control over, this coming year will contain some surprises for you. And if all of your hope is in your ability to control things and to get better, surprises could crush you. So what if in this time of New Year's resolutions, we resolved to be open to the unexpected ways that God is at work in our lives and in the world? What if we made plans but submitted them to God, knowing that he is smarter than we are uh, and trusting him with the outcome? In this passage that we're going to look at today, Matthew 2, 13 to 23, we see three unexpected things happen. Uh, first, Joseph uh, gets unexpected instructions to flee to Egypt. Uh, Herod tries to eliminate the unexpected threat to his rule, but is unsuccessful, ultimately. And then Joseph also unexpectedly has to settle his family in Nazareth when they return from Egypt. And in these three episodes, I would say, we get a glimpse into how God works in the unexpected, and I hope that they can encourage us to be open to the unexpected ways 
that God might choose to work in our lives. So uh, I am going to read the text today, so would you please rise for the reading of Scripture? Matthew 2, 13 through 23. When they had gone, that is, the wise men, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. God, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for uh, inspiring uh, your servant, Matthew, to write it down. Um, I pray that you will um, allow me to, to speak these words faithfully and truly uh, and, and point to you. Um, I pray that you'll enable this by your spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So, in the summer of 2016, I went with a group from uh, Bellingham Covenant Church to Israel on a tour led by Tim Kuyper. And while we saw the big attractions like the Western Wall in Jerusalem, we spent most of our time at archaeological sites. Uh, and a lot of the archaeological sites are associated with Herod the Great. Um, he was not a great person, but he was a great builder. And a lot of the things he built, you can still go and see. Uh, that is one of the benefits of uh, not necessarily being a great person, but investing your, your life in architecture. You can... Uh, still be remembered by the ruins that you leave behind. So, uh, one of the sites that we went to see, you can see up here, is a site called Herodium. Uh, there in the foreground, you can see a model of uh, what it used to look like, and then in the background, you can see the ruins of uh, what it is like now. Um, it was, uh, Herodium was one of Herod's favorite places to be, uh, and he loved it so much that he wanted to be buried there. He gave instructions that his tomb should be located there. Uh, we know this. It was written about 
uh, by the ancient Jewish historian Josephus, uh, but his tomb was actually not discovered at Herodium until 2007. And inside the tomb, uh, archaeologists found a sarcophagus uh, that had been beautifully decorated, but it had been broken into hundreds of pieces. And it is assumed by many archaeologists that his resting place was destroyed during the Jewish revolt that happened about 60 years after his death. He was, as I mentioned, not a great person and not a popular person. Um, But one thing that really struck me as we were uh, standing uh, at Herodium is the view from there looking out. So Herodium is on a hill that is fairly close to uh, modern-day Bethlehem. And in this picture, you can see modern-day Bethlehem off in the distance, if you're looking uh, kind of to the, the north a little bit. So it's easy to imagine King Herod standing up here on this hill, having heard from the Magi that a king had been born in Bethlehem, and deciding that his thre- this threat to his reign, uh, just over the hill, had to be stamped out. In Christmas plays, Herod is the villain, and rightly so. Uh, But when we think of Herod as being cartoonishly villainous, twirling his mustache or uh, stroking a cat like a criminal mastermind, uh, we misunderstand the nature of evil. The truth is, there is a little bit of Herod in all of us. There is part of us that really does not want God to be our king. Even if we are Christians and we're committed to following Jesus, uh, we have moments where we just want to run our own lives. This Advent, uh, over the course of December, I read a book by the English poet W.H. Auden called, For the Time Being, A Christmas Oratorio. In it, he recounts the story of Jesus' birth, but he continually makes reference to the present day, uh, kind of weaving in references to uh, the mid-20th century. He wrote it in the early 1940s. And for me, it made the, the story of Jesus's birth uh, come alive in, in new ways. Uh, and there is a section of it called The Massacre of the Innocents. Uh, and this section is one long speech by Herod that I think helps us to see him as a more real, more complicated person. A part of it reads like this. This is Herod speaking, according to W.H. Auden. One needn't be much of a psychologist to realize that if this rumor, that is the rumor of Jesus's birth, is not stamped out now, in a few years it's capable of diseasing the whole empire, and one doesn't have to be a prophet to predict the consequences if it should. Reason will be replaced by revelation Justice will be replaced by pity as the cardinal human virtue, and all fear of retribution will vanish. Naturally, this cannot be allowed to happen. Civilization must be saved, even if this means sending for the military, as I suppose it does. So Herod is here, someone who wants to keep the peace. He wants law and order. He thinks... God intervening in history is going to mess things up. It's going to throw things into disarray. Uh, It'll foil his plans, and his plans are 
good by and large. He's keeping the peace. Um, it is at the cost of crushing his enemies, but, you know, sometimes that has to be done. Um, he's, a, a, he's somebody who, uh, at least according to, to Auden's uh, imagining who he was, uh, somebody who had good intentions but had gone terribly wrong. And I wonder if perhaps you may relate to this on some level. I wonder if you have ever uh, perhaps argued with God about the road that he seems to be taking you down. Uh, I wonder if you've ever asked him to give you back things the way that they were, because they were the way that they were was good. Uh, we may not have reached the level of King Herod, but if we want to be open to the unexpected ways that God could work in our lives, we need to recognize this temptation to prefer our ways and resist the ways of God. So, let us look now uh, at the way Joseph handled the unexpected in verses 13 to 15. I've called this, this little section, Unexpected Changes in Plans. So Joseph and Mary, uh, after Jesus was born, expected to stay in Bethlehem. They had family there, maybe there were some job prospects, but Joseph had a dream, uh, and they ended up having to flee to Egypt. It was a foreign land, uh, and a place that Jews would historically have associated with oppression. Uh, the irony, this time around, uh, and I think this is something that Matthew probably had in his mind, was that uh, Herod, in this case, was the pharaoh-like figure who was threatening children. But as unexpected as it was, uh, Matthew connects it with the Exodus, interpreting the words of Hosea as being about Jesus, uh, ultimately. It was a surprise to Joseph and Mary, and it happened because of Herod's evil plans, but God used it to prepare Jesus for his ministry. Jesus, uh, as a result of this brief sojourn in Egypt, knew what it was like to be an outsider, a foreigner, a refugee. I wonder if you can think of times in your life when you could say, like the Old Testament Joseph, uh, who was also sent to Egypt against his will. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. This new year, alongside your resolutions, it may be helpful to note those times in your life just to prepare you for the surprises that may await you this year. So the first little section is unexpected changes in plans. The second section of this passage I've titled, Unexpected Suffering and Opposition. Verses 16 through 18 of this passage is often called the Massacre of the Innocents. Herod, in his mind at least, wanting to preserve order in his realm, decides he'll eliminate potential opposition by having children murdered. This is a difficult passage to read, and it's, often, it's not often a text that gets brought up during the warm and fuzzy Christmas season. But it is important to remember that while Jesus came to bring in a new kingdom, he came to save his people from their sins, he came to seek out those who were far from God, this kingdom was opposed from the very beginning, and it still experiences opposition. So, 
even in our own, own lives, if, if we are trying to follow Jesus, if we are trying to live uh, as much as possible in the kingdom of God, uh, we shouldn't be surprised by opposition either, because it has been that way since the beginning. Uh, at the beginning of December, uh, about a month ago, uh, I received the uh, shocking news that one of my old roommates, uh, who I lived with uh, when I was at Regent College, had died. Uh, he was an Anglican priest. Uh, he was beloved by his, his church and his community. Uh, he was married. He had two young daughters. Uh, but a couple of years ago, uh, he got cancer. Uh, he underwent treatments. For a while, it seemed like um, things were going well, but uh, he ended up uh, going into hospice and, and dying about a month ago. And there were a lot of people praying for him. Um, he was doing such good work. His family needed him, uh, but uh, he, he ended up uh, succumbing to, to cancer. And now, cancer is evil, and death is evil. It's not the way that God created the world to run. And sometimes we experience suffering simply because we have an enemy who hates Jesus and will do anything he can to hurt those who are united with him. So, don't be surprised if you suffer as you follow Jesus and live in his kingdom. But remember that Jesus always wins, though not always in expected ways. Herod expected that killing the boys of Bethlehem would put an end to the threat to his rule, but it did not. Uh, this is, could be an encouragement to us that nothing can finally stand against the kingdom of God, but it's also a warning to us uh, that we can give in to the temptation to stand against him and protect our own interests. A theologian, Stanley Harawas, uh, writes about this passage that Herod's must be resisted, but we must also not forget that the fear that possessed Herod's life is not absent from our own lives. When we give in to the temptation to oppose God's reign, it's usually out of fear. We fear losing what we have, and we ever so subtly justify hanging on to it. Even though we may not uh, commit atrocities on the scale of Herod, we can be afraid of God interrupting our plans, so we rationalize clinging to our comfortable lives. So, remember on this New Year's Day that that never works at least not in the long term. You always have the opportunity to join the winning side of Jesus and the kingdom of God. The last little section of this passage I have called unexpected lowliness. Another one of the ways that God can work unexpectedly in the world and in our lives is through unexpected lowliness. In verses 19 through 23, Joseph and Mary intended to settle in Judea, but they had to go back to Galilee to Nowheresville, Nazareth. It may be that Joseph was hoping to move up in the world and he didn't want to go back to Nazareth, which was so small as to be uh, essentially unknown until it became associated with Jesus later on. At the beginning of jo the Gospel of John, one of Jesus' own future disciples asks, can anything good come from Nazareth? Think in your mind of the most unlikely, 
underwhelming, no jobs, no prospects place that people want to get out of the minute they finish high school, and that is the sort of place that Jesus was from. But God himself was not ashamed to be associated with such a place. So as we think about this new year and about what we want to devote our energies to, we shouldn't think that uh, anyone else is not worth our time uh, or that God has abandoned us because we're not where we want to be or that we'll only be successful in our lives if we have a certain income or job or follower count on social media or any of the other usual metrics by which the world can measure our worth. God doesn't see as the world sees or judge as the world judges. Having a huge uh, church or a growing business uh, isn't always a sign of God's blessing. It isn't necessarily a sign of the opposite, but it's, uh, the two are not, there's not a a one-to-one correlation between um, having a, a growing organization or a huge church and God blessing you. Likewise, the, having a, a small organization, a small business, or uh, a smaller church is not necessarily the evidence of um, God's absence or the, the absence of God's blessing. So if God works unexpectedly, how do we know in our own lives when and where he is working? Well, I wish I could give you a few easy steps to know, uh, to know how to do this, but um, just, that's just not the way I operate. So, but I'll, I'll, I will give you a little bit of, uh, a little bit of guidance. Um, while there is an unexpectedness to the way that God works, there is also, I would say, an inevitability to it. Uh, that's why I called this sermon the uh, unexpected expected God. The world, as we experience it, while it is uh, fallen and while uh, there is uh, opposition to the kingdom of God, it is still, at the same time, the world that God created. And when we see how God has been working, we think, of course, this was the way it had to be all along. That's what you see in this passage that that, um, that I just read when Matthew quotes scripture as being fulfilled in the events of Jesus's life. These are things that couldn't have necessarily been predicted, but once it happened, Matthew is able to say, yes, of course, this is the way that it was supposed to happen. So I would say, uh, I won't call it a step, but maybe you could, uh, you could think of it as a, a step uh, or a, a life hack or something like that. Uh, The more that we know scripture, the more that we know history, the better we will be uh, at seeing the way that God works and uh, anticipating uh, the way God might surprise us even. In his commentary on this passage, uh, Michael Green wrote that God works through both surprise and continuity to bring about his purposes. The story of Jesus is utterly continuous with Abraham, with David, and with the whole history of the chosen people, but it also bristles with surprises. 
Perhaps this is to encourage us to expect God to be working in our lives steadily and continuously, making sense of our past history, but also to be on the lookout for God's surprises in our lives, ready to grasp them and follow through their implications when they come. There is continuity and discontinuity. There is the expected and the unexpected. That is the way that God chooses, chooses to work. Uh, that is the way that he has worked uh, in the lives of his people in scripture, and it is the way that he works in our lives as well. So God works through both surprise and continuity, and after the, after the unexpected happens is when we can see how it fit with what came before. So this is where faith comes in. Faith isn't believing in spite of evidence. It's believing in God's character and faithfulness. Sometimes this is believing in God's character and faithfulness in spite of appearances and in spite of our, our circumstances. So I don't know what this coming year looks like for you, uh, whether you are one of what Alan Noble calls the, the affirming, who thinks that you can make life work for you, uh, or one of the resigned who thinks that the deck is stacked against you. Whichever camp you may be in, I have good news for you. Hope is found in Jesus Christ alone, who was born under the threat of death, was raised in obscurity, who healed the sick and made the blind see, who preached an upside-down, surprising kingdom of God, who died for your sins and was raised from the dead, who even now is reigning over the universe invisibly, who one day will come in power and glory to bring his reign into the open and defeat death once and for all. It was expected that he would be the kind of king who would lead a revolt against Rome, but he didn't. He did much better than that. It was expected that he would stay dead, but he didn't. He was raised from the dead. It was expected that his little band of followers would die out like so many like them had done before, but they didn't. They continued to expand, at first very quietly and slowly, and then uh, very quickly. And even now, it is, it is expected by uh, some people that the church in the West uh, will die out. Uh, in a lot of places, it, it is shrinking. But as long as Jesus Christ is its Lord, it will not. My hope is built on nothing less than this. And in 2023, I pray that you will let your hope be built on this as well. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the ways that you work in unexpected ways, but also ways that seem inevitable, that seem to fit uh, once they happen. I thank you for the ways in which you have surprised us and in the ways that you will surprise us in the future. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to the working of your Spirit. Help us to see as you see. Help us to not judge by appearances. 
Help us to be open to the way that you are guiding us, both individually and as families and as a church. Amen.